my objective when I preach is, first of all, always to exalt the Savior, because He is worthy of it. And that's one thing that the song service does. It tunes our hearts up so we can praise Him, because He is worthy. And He's the only one worthy, too. A lot of us young preachers, when we're first called to preach, boy, we think, man, I got something for the people. But as you go along, you realize, oh, I actually don't have anything for the people. God has things for the people. And let's see if I can be faithful to God's Word and deliver what He has for the people. And the more, the more you exalt yourself in your own mind, the less God uses you. And the more you humble yourself, the more God can use you. And so um, I hope to be a blessing to you this morning. This, I used to look at Peter and I used to think, man, what a loud mouth. What a, what a, look at, look at all the mistakes he made when he was following Jesus, trying to cut off Malchus's ear, and Lord, you're not going to the cross, and all these things, but you, you can't discredit Peter, because even though he was always the first one to stick his foot in his mouth, you get, you get past the day of Pentecost, or the day of Pentecost and beyond, he's the first one to witness for Jesus. He's the one who stood up uh, and preached the gospel. He's the one who was preaching in the temple, and they threw him in the jail. Peter was the one. And of course, they were all preaching, but Peter was very bold for the Lord. He just had to have that boldness turned in the right direction. And he did get there, and Peter ultimately died crucified upside down, just like his Lord said he would, but it was because he was being faithful. And so I love, I love looking at Peter in the Bible. And one thing I love looking at about Peter is his call, his first call. Now, the Word of God has power. God's Word has power. Jesus' Word has power. And I think a lot of preachers make the mistake and they think that their words begin to have power as they preach. I heard one preacher one time foolishly say that uh, there was an evangelist who stepped off of a train in a city and as soon as he stepped off this train, his foot touched the ground, people started repenting. So what you have there is an exaltation of the man, not an exaltation of Jesus Christ. And I understand that men, God uses men to preach the Word. I understand that. He also uses mamas to preach the Word to their children. But too many times in church work, the man is exalted. The man's ministry is exalted. And Christ, doesn't, Christ ends up being debased because we exalt the man. You have to be careful not to do that. And also, what I think a lot of preachers make the mistake of doing is thinking that just because they preach, their word is going to carry power. Just because they use the Bible, their word is going to carry power, and it does not. What carries power is God's word and whenever Jesus speaks, not when you speak, when He speaks. Because you can preach and preach and preach and preach. But if Jesus doesn't speak in your preaching, there's no power in it. But you are planting seeds. And so, I want to look over at Matthew chapter 5. And I want to preach the gospel to you this morning in the life of Peter. Because I think it's a beautiful picture of salvation. And one that's left out of a lot of gospel preaching today. This door-knocking outfit today, I'm going to address that here in a little bit because I know that at one time God did use that. But it, it's, not, it's not the same way people believe, most people believe today that it was used. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. And oftentimes this is all I hear preached or talked about when it comes to the call of Peter and Andrew and James and John. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, and in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And so what a lot of young preachers get in their mind, and older preachers too, I've heard this in their ministries, is if I say it, they have to do it. And if you just look at just Matthew chapter 4 right here, what you see is Jesus just walks up to the side of the sea. He sees these four men and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And followed him and when he had gone a little further thence, he did the same to James and John. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But there's more to it than that. Now, Jesus could have said that. He could have just said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They could have never heard of the man. They could have never known anything about him. And his word, Christ's word carries so much power that they, they would have followed him. But there's more to it than that. And there's more to it than that for us today. Amen. See, what the, what the uh, easy believism has done and what a lot of door knocking turns out to be is I show up like Jesus did. I tell them, you need to believe Jesus like Jesus did. And they'll follow me like they follow Jesus. And that's not the case. See, this isn't the first time they heard the name of Jesus Christ. This isn't even the first time Peter was introduced to Jesus Christ. And that's one reason God gave us four Gospels. So you can, get the side, you can get the story from this side and from that side and from that side and from that side. And that's another reason that young preachers are so dangerous because they have not even read their whole Bible yet, much less put it all together. And so what you end up with is a one-sided gospel. And you preach all wrath or you preach all love or you preach easy believism or you preach, you know, you're all just, there's no hope for any of you. You have to be balanced and that takes time. And so I want to start by going to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, you actually see Peter and Andrew and others meet Jesus Christ for the first time. Now what Jesus did for us on the cross is He gives us a free salvation. It is free. It's free for you and it's free for me. It doesn't cost us a thing initially. But it is the most expensive, the most costly thing that there is. And Jesus Christ throughout His ministry made sure to be very clear about that. There would be men who want to follow Jesus Christ. And he would say, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus would say, no, you don't want to follow me. You care too much about, you care too much about your family. Let me follow you, but let me set my house in order. And Jesus would tell them, you're not up to the task. He that puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom. Amen. And so even though the, the gospel is free, it is free. You can't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to earn it. It does cost you. And it costs you your entire life. And that's something that's left out, which is why a lot of people make a profession of salvation, and that's it. They, you can't keep them in church. You can't keep them out of the casino. You can't keep them out of drugs. It's because they, they supposedly got this free gospel, but they didn't count the cost. And Jesus Christ talked about that too. And I'm trying to, I want to try to get into all that this morning. And as when any preacher shows up at a new place, he's got way too much that he wants to say in not enough time. So I'm, I'm asking the Lord for help to stay on track this morning and present what was such a blessing to me. So over here in John chapter 1, and this is how it's going to work for every sinner that's in your life that you're a witness to, it's going to work the same way. Salvation has been the same for everyone. So in John chapter 1, you have verses 35 through 42. Let me set the stage for you real quick. Thirty years before this, there was a woman in Bethlehem, or actually in Nazareth, who claimed that she was carrying the Messiah. And some people thought she was crazy. Her own husband, Joseph, also thought that, well, 
she's, she's been unfaithful to me, so I'm just going to put her away privately. God came to Joseph and said, no, she's not crazy. She's not unfaithful. She is carrying that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so you have Joseph confirming this. Mary said this. The baby Jesus is born. Angels in heaven announce it. Shepherds start going throughout all Bethlehem and all the region around saying, we just heard that the Son of God was born. And this news spread everywhere. It wasn't just local. Everybody heard about this. They had been waiting. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to anybody in Israel through a prophet. And God had always spoken through prophets. And so it's all this silence. They're under the oppression of Rome. They're waiting for a deliverer like they had so many times before. And they hear that this son of God is born. And uh, Herod hears it. And so he goes and he tries to kill because there's a king born. So it, was, it made, a, made a big splash. Jesus' birth did. Everybody in Israel heard about it. And then it's pretty quiet for the next 11, 12 years. Then when Jesus is 12, he goes up to the temple. He talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all the lawyers there. And he, they marvel at his wisdom. Now, most 12-year-olds think they're pretty wise. They certainly think they're smarter than their mama and daddy. I've got one. So the, and, and the older they get, the more wise they think they are. But this, the equivalent of what Jesus did in the temple would be my 12-year-old daughter going down to one of our big meetings that we go to, and all the preachers just being amazed at the wisdom coming out of her mouth about God. Okay, that would, that would have an impact. And so Jesus made an appearance there. Then John the Baptist comes on the scene 18 years after that. And he starts preaching, repent you for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they say, who are you? Are you, are you the Messiah? Are you that prophet? Are you Elijah? And he says, no, 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 I'm not. But I'm paving the way for him. And the Bible says that all Jerusalem and all Judea came out to John to be baptized of his baptism. And so John the Baptist becomes a Donald Trump in his everybody knows him. Is there anybody on the planet that doesn't know the man Donald Trump? No. Everybody knew Jesus, I mean, uh, John the Baptist. He made a big splash. And everybody heard about it and everybody is, the Bible said that everybody's hearts were in expectation and anticipation. So everybody is listening to what John the Baptist is saying. He's doing something new. He's baptizing people for the remission of sins. And so then John the Baptist says, somebody else is coming. Somebody else is coming. I'm, I'm pointing the way to somebody else. And in all of this, John the Baptist, one day Peter comes to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist baptizes Peter. And John the Baptist baptizes John and James and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. All the apostles were baptized by John the Baptist. Let me show you some scripture for that so you don't just think I'm rattling over here. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, you have Judas Iscariot had died. He had committed suicide, which is what it is when you reject the Lord. You're literally committing suicide of the soul. But Peter stands up and he says, we have to find, we have to replace this man. He says in verse 21 of Acts chapter 1, Wherefore, of these men which have company with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John under the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So it wasn't just Peter and James and John and the other nine that were with Jesus throughout his whole ministry. There were lots of people who stayed with Jesus the entire time. At least uh, Matthias here uh, and the other man, they were with the whole time. And so all these men had been baptized by John, believing John's message. What was John's message? There's one mightier than I coming after me, who who is the chosen one of God, the Messiah. So Peter knew about Jesus Christ already. 
And then Jesus comes, and He is baptized. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And then when He comes back, you have John chapter 1. And it says in verse 35, Again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And in the previous verses, John said, I know it's Him, because God told me, whenever I see the Spirit descending on Him like a dove, that's Him. John saw that. So no, no doubt in John's mind, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. So you have two, apostles, or two disciples here who are following John, and John directs them to Jesus. The two, verse 37, the two disciples heard Him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto Him, Rabbi, they're saying, You're a master. Where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Then verse 40 says, One of these two was Andrew. Andrew is Peter's brother. That's usually where your introduction to the Lord comes from. is from somebody in your family who already knows the Lord, or somebody who's interested in the Lord, and you, you bring them in. Now Peter had already been baptized by John. Peter already knows there's, there's a Messiah coming. And Andrew is following John, and Andrew says, hey, to Peter, uh, verse 41, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, you're saved. No, he didn't. Peter did not sign on to Jesus Christ at this time, if I could put it that way. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. This is Peter's first personal introduction to Jesus Christ. The first time he gets to meet the Lord. And Andrew, his brother, had met him before. And so, you, so Peter is, the point I'm getting at is Peter is not just a, Peter and James and John went fishing one day in their boat. And all of a sudden they see this stranger walk up who they've never heard of, they've never seen, they know nothing about him, and this stranger just says, you, follow me. And they go, oh yes. That is not the way God worked then. That is not the way He works now. If you think that your witness is so powerful that you're going to show up to people who, who in this heathen America that we live in, and it is a heathen nation. When I taught Bible studies uh, for the community of Honey Grove 12, 14 years ago now, people didn't even know the story of David and Goliath. These teenagers. And I was shocked. How could you not know the story of David and Goliath? But th- we live in a heathen nation. People do not know Jesus. And if they have heard of Jesus... They've heard about him through some false religion. Okay, So when you deal with people and just because they say, oh, I know Jesus, you can guarantee yourself they do not know Jesus Christ. They don't know. And Peter didn't know what Jesus was about either. Matter of fact, Andrew didn't really know what Jesus was about. Nobody knew what he was, what he was going to do with their lives. They just knew this man is from God and he has the truth. And how did they know he had the truth? Because he confirmed it with signs and wonders that Israel had never seen before. Yeah, they, Elijah had raised a boy from the dead before. But Elijah had not done what Jesus did. Yes, Moses did miracles. Elijah, Elisha, they did miracles, but that was very small periods in Israel's history. And so here comes Jesus, the man that all men counted as a prophet, John, said, this is the Messiah. And Jesus did signs and wonders. And in the beginning of his ministry, he stayed in Galilee, the region of Galilee. And he would go to all these cities, Cana, Capernaum, um, Bethsaida, and he would just miracle after miracle after miracle and just, just thousands of people thronged him. And, and I'm not going to mention Donald Trump very much. He's a thing of the past now, okay? But the, you think the crowds that followed him were big? 
it says innumerable multitudes followed Jesus Christ around. And why? Well, He's healing people. He's feeding people. And it also, don't forget that the Bible says that many people followed Him to hear the Word of God. It says that in more than one place. They weren't all just there to fill their belly, and they weren't all there just to be healed of their infirmities. They, the Word of God has come in another prophet. We want to hear what God has to say. And so that's what drew Peter, James, John, and all, all the other apostles, or would-be apostles as well. And so when you, when you witness to people, when you talk to people about the Lord, chances are they come from a place of false religion. They have no idea who Christ is. And don't expect that you're just so holy and you're so, you have the right religion, you've got the right Bible, you have the right church. So they're just the power of God is going to fall on them and they're going to believe. We do not live in those days. We don't live in the days where people actually know who Jesus is. And one reason that door knocking used to be effective is because most people were raised in church. Most people, uh, they, they heard the gospel, they knew who Jesus was, and they knew that Christianity was an expensive way of life. They knew it was going to cost them in family. It was going to cost them in so-called fun. It was going to cost them to be a Christian. And so they just rejected it. I don't want to do it. And so when you would show up to somebody's house and you would, you would urge them, they already knew the truth. They already knew the gospel. And there could be an effect there. You show up to somebody's house today, they can't turn the TV off, they can't keep the dog or the kids quiet. And so I'm, are you saying, don't door knock? If you feel like God wants you to do it, you do it. Okay? But... If you have this idea that you're going to go out there and change the world for God because you knock on doors, forget it. Jesus didn't do that. And if Jesus didn't do that, then you're not going to do it either. No, what we need to do is do what our Lord did. See, a mistake that many people listen, a mistake that many people do or make is they listen to too much preaching. I want to be careful when I say that right there. They listen to too much preaching that is not based in God's word. And so what they do is they begin to follow these great men of faith in their examples. And they do not follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are there great men of faith? Yes. Are there great women of faith? Yes. But you know, we don't actually know what anybody's life accomplished after the Bible was written. We know what Peter's preaching did. We know what John the Baptist's preaching did. We know what Paul's preaching did. We do not know what these other men who have followed after them. We don't know what their work actually accomplished. Many men have built many great churches in false religion. The Catholic Church is a good example of that. It is one of the biggest religions on the planet with the most money that there is, and it's false. They worship another Jesus, and they call him Pope. And so if, if false religion could do that, then the people that we consider to be in the right faith, they can manufacture that too. So you have to be careful when you look at other men's example. And so I want to, what I want to focus on this morning is Christ's example of how to win a soul. How to lead people to Christ and what you ought to expect as well. And also, this is every one of our salvation experiences too. I didn't show up to church the first time, hear the name of Jesus for the first time, and believe. Because, you, because the gospel is very expensive. And there were people who followed Jesus for years. The whole time he was saying... This is going to cost you, this is going to cost you, this is going to cost you. And finally he said, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they went, okay, you're crazy. And they quit following him. They said, it's going to start costing us too much to follow this man. So they understood. Sinners today have to understand that there is a cost to it. Many people hear about hell and they're afraid. And rightfully so. Uh, My children are small and a lot of times they become very afraid when I start talking to them about the judgment to come or about revelation like Brother Glenn mentioned this morning, 
I start talking to them about Revelation. A third of the men on earth dying. A third of the water becoming undrinkable. A third of the fish. A third of the fowls. And the devil, the Bible says that if Christ did not shorten those days in the Great Tribulation, there should no flesh be saved. Which means Satan not only hates the followers of Christ, he hates his own followers. He would destroy everybody and everything if God would let him do it. And so it's a fearful thing to think about judgment and eternity and hell, but that's not enough. Jesus Christ... He talked about the judgment, but he also talked about it's going to cost you to follow me. It is going to cost you. And the gospel is so cheap today, and that's why there's more churches than there ever have been before, and there's more sin than there ever have been before. We may have had more freedom than we've had in a long time under the presidency of Donald Trump, but our nation became more wicked than it ever has been. Transgender and sodomy and all that got more liberty under that man's presidency than it ever has had before. So that he, didn't, he wasn't a savior of the nation and God did not use him to turn back. He just had, we had a little space of time for more freedom. The nation did not become more spiritual. That's the sign of a nation that's under judgment. So Peter had already met Jesus Christ. But Peter did not, as my pastor would say, jine up. He didn't hook up with him. He said, okay, I've met, I've met the Messiah. I've met him, but you know, I've got my own thing going. I've got my own life going. And so you may have given me another name, Cephas, but I've got, I've got other things going. Now let's go to Luke chapter 5. You know, I love Peter's conversion because I resonate very strongly with him. Now, b- before I go any further, are you saying this is when Peter got justified? No, I'm not saying it's when he got justified, although I think you could say it's when he got justified. Well, he was a Jew, that means he was born again. No, it doesn't. Most Jews were unbelievers, and they rejected Christ as a whole as a nation. I had a man tell me one time that Paul was already saved when he got to the road to Damascus. He was just, he was just wrong. And, and he, had to, he had to realize that he had to start serving God a different way. What a fool. What a fool to believe that just because you can... The, the angle that he came from was, Paul said, I kept the law perfectly. Oh, okay. I understand now. You're a Pharisee. And there's no winning with Pharisees. Jesus just condemned them. So now we get to Luke chapter 5. And it says, and it came to pass, verse 1, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, there it is, they pressed upon him to hear the word of God. There are people, there are sinners who God is drawing by his grace. You were one of those if you're born again. And you wanted to hear the word of God. You didn't know what it was. You didn't want to hear that you were condemned and going to hell, but you wanted to hear the word of God because God by his grace gave you some interest and he was drawing you to him. Thank the Lord for that. So, and so he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he's, so he's by the sea, and Jesus is trying to preach, but there's too many people thronging him. There's too many people coming up to him and saying, Lord, heal my son. Lord, heal my daughter. Lord, heal this infirmity that I've got. And so Jesus sees the ships there by the shore, and one is Peter's. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. These were night fishermen. They had endured a long night, hard work. And they had caught nothing. This was their profession. They knew what they were doing. Uh, and they had caught nothing. And so Jesus entered into one of the ships, which is Simon's, Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So why did Peter do this? Well, it's not because Jesus was a total stranger. It's because Jesus had an enormous following. Jesus was a very uh, popular celebrity at the time. He was healing. He was casting out devils. He was feeding people. And so Peter, and Peter had already met Jesus Christ. And in Israel, people who were masters or rabbis, they got special privileges. 
Whenever Jesus told them, go to this city and the first, when you see this donkey tied up there, you get him and bring him to me. And all you tell them is the master had need of them. And so they show up and they say, our rabbi, our master has need of this animal. And they go, oh, well then he's a teacher in Israel. Go ahead, lend him the animal. So masters, rabbis had special privilege given to them. And so Jesus enters into this ship and he says, Peter, put me out in the water some so I can preach to these people. And so Peter says, yes, okay, I don't mind doing that. And then Jesus, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. This crossed Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a preacher. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus didn't know about fishing. And you've had them, and I've had them. Long, hard days at work where you accomplish nothing. Frustration after frustration. Mamas have it at home too. Long, hard days. You come home, the husband, man comes home from work, he goes, did you do anything today? If only you knew what I've, what I've been through today, darling. So, you know, young husbands trying to lead their home. Uh, oh, you need to work harder. Okay, well, if you've got a woman that's faithful to you and faithful to the Lord and trying her best to raise the children the nurture and the administration of the Lord, remember what Jacob said when Esau met him. Esau said, let's drive him, let's drive him, let's drive him, let's get back home. And Jacob said, no, 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 I've got to tread on softly because my wife and my children can't take what men can take. They can't take the hard driving back home. i got little ones. Somebody's got to carry these babies. So just, although there weren't any babies at the time. So he said, uh, that, but you've had them. You've had long, hard days. I've had long, hard days. And the last thing I want is for somebody who knows nothing about what I'm doing to show up and tell me, you don't know what you're doing. Let me show you how to do it. This is what Jesus did to Peter. And this went against, against Peter's flesh man. That's what the gospel does to you. These men who go around and just invite people to Jesus and it's all positive and it's all flowers and you have nothing to lose, they're not preaching the gospel. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He told that to people who wanted to follow him. Most preachers today would go, that's great. You want to follow me? That's great. Sign right here. Give us your bank information so we can take your tithe. Churches do that. But Jesus said, no, you don't really want to follow me because you don't know what the cost is yet. And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, began to tell them the cost of it is going to cost you something to be my disciple. So this crossed Peter. And you see it in verse 5. Simon answering said unto him, Master, very respectfully. I do that to my boss at work too when I disagree with what's going on, but I'm trying to be the Christian. Master, boss, we have told all the night and have taken nothing. So I know, I know you're a preacher, Jesus. But this is my job. I know what I'm doing. And let me just tell you how it's going to turn out before we get there. We've told all night and caught nothing. And when we, when we cast this net down, we're not going to catch anything either. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do it. And so Jesus did it. And what happens in the next few verses is a total change of the scene. Now, you've got Peter in the boat. You've got probably Andrew in the boat with him. They were... They were Fishers together. And the Bible says that they, there were people, multiple people in the boat, not just Peter. So Peter's out there, Andrew's out there, there might be some servants in the boat as well. These boats weren't too big, but it did take more than one man to man them. And it says in verse 6, When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. 
And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So here's Peter suddenly realizing that he's dealing with God. And then you see the struggle begin. And this struggle occurs for every sinner who is first coming to the realization that they are dealing with God. Peter was skeptical at first. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing, but, but I'll humor you. And I'll go ahead and I'll let the net down. But by the time this is over with, you're going you're gonna to see your error and that I'm right. And that's what a lot of sinners do. A lot of people come to church. And they, they don't want to be there. They give attention to the preacher because, well, I'm just going to humor you. But they've got to get there. They have got to hear the preaching. They have got to hear the commands that come from the mouth of Jesus Christ, not from the preacher. They've got to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Now you go back over there to John chapter 1, and Philip, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew, Peter's brother, introduced him to Jesus Christ. He brought him to Christ. Here's the Messiah. Uh, Here's the man that we're going to follow. Here's the redemption of Israel. And boy, he's so excited, and Peter's not excited about it. That's not what I get from the verse. Now, I'm not going to totally throw off on Peter and say that he was disrespectful because he wasn't. But Peter heard about Jesus, heard about what he was doing, was not really interested. Sinners are not interested in what Christ has. They're not interested in what he's doing. It's not until they come to a place of crisis like here that Peter suddenly came to, when their whole world begins to collapse around them, that they cry out to God. They cry out for help. Peter's a professional. He's in his zone. He's in his arena. He knows what he's doing. And Jesus comes in, and I'm, I, I love how Jesus just, he sits there back in the boat. Jesus gave the command, let your net down, Peter. And Peter obeyed. And that's the first step towards salvation. It was for you, and it was for me. You are not saved by works. But the Bible also says, obey the gospel. There's a submission that has to take place. And so what we see is we see a struggle begin in Peter's life. Peter comes in, he comes to the boat, he's in his own environment, he lets the net down, and all of a sudden something starts happening that he is not familiar with. He got a bigger load than he could handle. And so it says that when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and so you've got Peter over here in the boat, and you've got Andrew over here in the boat, and other servants likely with them. I mean... You've got enough fish and you've got enough strain on this net that it starts to break. And so Peter and them start pulling the fish in. They start pulling the net in. And there's, they're just fishing. They start piling the fish in the boat and piling the fish in the boat. And the nets begin to break. And so James and John, now, now Peter and them are out in the deep. And they're struggling with this net. And Jesus is just sitting there. The boat's going like this. And Jesus is just sitting in there watching what's going on, watching Peter break down. And Peter realizes he's in over his head. And so he calls to James and John over there in their boat and their partners. And he says, get over here, get over here. They beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And so their, their partners get over there, and they start pulling on the nets, and they start reeling in fish, and they start filling the boats. And when the Bible says that the boats began to sink, that means that they began to sink. That means they've got so many fish and so much water in these boats and so much chaos going on that the boats begin to sink. Well, what do you do to stop a boat from sinking? You start bailing out water and bailing out fish. And throwing out the load. And so this is, this is a scene of chaos. And Peter is struggling here as well as James and John and Andrew. It's not all about Peter here. But they're struggling with this and they're, they're trying to salvage the situation. And sinners do that all the time. They, they start, but, but the more you try to do to deliver yourself, the worse it gets. And so Peter, he's out here 
and he's a professional, he knows what he's doing. And so he's going to pull these fish in, and he's going to get all these fish in the boat. So he can turn around to Jesus and go, I got it. Got it taken care of. And so sinners, when they start feeling the heat of the judgment of God down their neck, they join a church. Or they straighten up their marriage. Or they, they do some kind of a reform program. Or they start reading their Bible. Or they start dressing nicer. Or they do something to try to alleviate. I've, just, I've got some work that I've got to do. And the more works that Peter did to try to salvage the situation, the deeper the boat got. And the deeper and the deeper and the deeper it got. And you've got people who come to church and they try to get saved. And I hate that term. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Because that, that takes it away from the Lord. Salvation's of the Lord. Nothing you try to do will get you saved. All you're trying does what Peter does here. He just pulls more fish in and more fish in and more fish in. And the more that you do to try to save yourself or to salvage the situation, the worse it gets. And so Simon comes to the realization here. He says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Then you get to verse 11. When they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. So Peter goes through a struggle here for salvation, if I could put it that way. Peter goes through a struggle to be converted to the Lord. He knew about him. Everybody you meet knows about Jesus. Have you ever met anybody that says, I got a problem with Jesus? I mean, except for your rank uh, deniers of God. My brother is one of those. He denies God's very existence. And he's got a problem with Jesus because Jesus calls him a sinner. No, most people you meet, they're like, oh yeah, Jesus is cool. I don't have any problems with him. But whenever you make Christ personal to them and it crosses their life, that's when, the, that's when they have a problem. And they start trying to justify themselves by works or what they've done in the past or some new reform program. And one thing I like about verse 4, it says, When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. You know, Jesus doesn't give us suggestions as sinners. And Jesus doesn't give us suggestions as saints. A lot of people go through their Christian life and they hear the preaching from the Word, from the Bible. Straight up Scripture. And because they don't like the man who's preaching, or the, because you're some relative, they go, well, that works for you, but, but I'm not doing that. Jesus doesn't give suggestions. Jesus gives commands. Amen. He gives commands to husbands, to wives, to children, to pastors. He gives commands to us. Never a suggestion. And there's safety in that. When I, when I command my children, there's safety in that. And they know that when I give them a suggestion, it's actually a command. There, there's no suggestions around my house. It's commands. You do this. Hey, would you do this for me when I say that? Would you, give, would you fill my cup of coffee? It's really not a question. It's a command. And they know it. Christ is the same way. Christ gives commands. And so I want to I focus in on Peter now. First of all, Peter had to obey the command of the Lord to be used. He had to obey to be used. A lot of people want to strike their own path, do their own thing, start their own ministry. And there are many ministries out there that have nothing, zero, absolutely no basis in Scripture whatsoever. But men have these ministries, and women have these ministries, and a lot of people pour a lot of money into it. And has no, no roots, no grounding in preaching, 
No grounding in mission work, no grounding in evangelism. It's just some way to entertain the flesh that people have come up with. Did you know in the New Testament there's no music ministry? People who get paid to go around and sing? It's not in there. You have people who get paid to go around and preach. But you don't have people whose sole skill set is they go around and sing for money. That's not in the New Testament. Now, I like people who can sing. I give money. I've given money to people who make CDs. But there's a lot of people that I don't give money to because they are in it for the show business. So there, there is no music ministry in the New Testament. That's just one small example of all the ministries, the extra ministries that men come up with. No, you have to obey to be used. And Peter had to obey to be used. Something else Peter had to do was he had to obey to receive understanding. If Jesus had said, Peter, let down your net for a draught, and Peter had said, no, no, I don't think so. Uh, I know what I'm doing and you don't. He would have never got the understanding. He would have never realized, oh, I'm actually dealing with God here. It just would have been another prophet, just another man. And you have to obey God to receive understanding as a Christian and as a sinner. And God, you know, the laws of God as far as doing what's right and doing what's wrong doesn't just apply to saints. It applies to all of God's creation, which is why there is judgment for sinners because the law applies to them. When God says, uh, don't steal, that applies to the sinner too. That's a command directly given to sinners. And if you didn't have the law, you would never know that you're a sinner. But no, you've disobeyed and disobeyed, and that's where the condemnation comes from. Peter had to obey to receive understanding. Peter also had to obey to be humbled. And there is a great need for a lot of that in church work. So many wives, young wives and young mothers, need to be humbled. They come in thinking they know everything. They know better than the old women. Uh, They know better than all who have gone before them. They know better than their brothers and better than their sisters. They know how to raise children, even though they haven't done it yet. And if you're going to be faithful to the Lord and serve Him, He is going to humble you in that. And you'll come to the understanding, oh, I don't actually know anything about parenting. Fathers and husbands the same way. Oh, I don't know anything about you have to... You have to obey to be humbled. And humbling is something that everybody needs. With Peter's mouth in verse 5, he showed skepticism, the skepticism that was in his heart. But the important thing is that Peter obeyed. Obedience is required, not understanding. For you and for me, obedience is required. And when you obey, then you can receive the blessings. Then you can receive the understanding. Then you can receive the gospel, salvation. Um... I know an older preacher, he's been faithful to ministry for a long time down in our area. And he just seems very steady, very stable, very even keel. He pastored churches for years and years, been, been all over our area pastoring. And he was talking one time and said, you know, there have been times in my ministry where I was receiving nothing from the Lord. I wasn't receiving comfort. I wasn't receiving pleasure in the ministry. It was just, it was, it was a dearth for me. He said, but I found out that if I just kept obeying God, eventually those blessings did come. Obedience is required. And so you may be at a really difficult place in your marriage, really difficult place in your church life. I've been in both of them. But you obey the Lord. What does he say? He says, forgive your brothers and sisters. What does he say? He says, lead your wife and your children. Love them. Uh, a message I would love to preach is the Bible talks about how Christ 
loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church. And what men love to do is really hone in on the commanding part and the giving orders part and the really making them go through hardships part. But you know, there's a lot of other parts too. Christ was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't rebuke the apostles for sleeping up there. They were tired. Christ got in the Garden of Gethsemane. After the third time, He says, sleep on now. I know you're tired, boys. He would say, go retreat to the mountain. He would give them rest. And ultimately, Christ died for them. He did what they could not do. And the, the, whole, the whole theme of Christ's ministry with His church was not, you bunch of failures. Why don't you all just step it up some? No, He was understanding. And He gave to them. And there's a lot of that missing in leadership, I believe. A lot of men claim that the wife is the weaker vessel, but then expect her to do more than he does. Kind of a, a double standard there. Either way, you have to obey. And there are times where you go through hardships, but you, you obey the Bible. This is our rule and guide. Amen. This tells us what to do. And you have to be careful with the advice of your friends. And even the advice of... Uh, well-meaning other church members. When their advice crosses this Bible, you don't follow their advice, you follow the Bible. You follow God's Word. And you'll receive blessings for that. And so we get to verse 6 and 7, and I see strain, I see chaos, I see desperation, I see astonishment. And whenever sinners get to the place where they become aware of their sin before God, or their judgment before God, they are, they are in knots. They're out of sorts. They're uncomfortable. They want relief. And, and it's our tendency to try to go give them relief and try to help them. And so Peter's in the boat here, and he's straining, and he's got, he's got everybody around him helping him that he can. But you know what doesn't happen? Peter, and Peter has this internal struggle going on. He's, he's recognizing that Christ here is the master, that he needs to humble himself before Christ. But he just keeps struggling with those nets. He just keeps pulling fish in and casting fish out as they're sinking. And ultimately, Peter comes to the place where he breaks. And he doesn't just throw his hands up and go, Oh, I don't know what to do. He knew what he needed to do the whole time. He knew that he needed to humble himself before Christ. It's one thing to say, Oh, yeah, that's the Messiah. I believe him. It's another thing to say, That's the Messiah. I'm following him. And that's what Peter did. Now, what did not happen is Andrew didn't come up to Peter and go, Peter, why don't you just turn to Jesus? Peter knows what he needs to do. James and John didn't holler from the other boats and go, Peter, just turn to Jesus. Just give Him your heart. Just ask Him to forgive you. Peter knows what's going on. And whenever Christ gets in the boat with you of your life and He starts telling you what's, what you need to do, just like He told Peter, you know what you need to do. Sinners know what they need to do. When they come to that place, now, there's, there's degrees of understanding that you come to when the Lord is dealing with you. You understand there's a judgment. You understand you're personally accountable before God. But there comes that place where you understand that you have to surrender your life to Him. And not bargain-making either. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. Lord, if you, if you save me, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's, I'm not talking about bargain-making. Look what Peter said. Peter saw it. Verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. What Peter said is, I have nothing. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. You've brought this on me, Lord. And I have, I have no way to get out of it. Peter's acknowledging his helplessness. He was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of fishes that had taken. When a sinner comes to the point, and when you came to the point, where it's, you come down to the, the point of salvation, if I could put it that way, where you can be saved. 
You don't need somebody to help you. Peter did not need somebody to help him here. When you come to that point. Now before then, you need lots of help. You need somebody to open the Scriptures to you. You need somebody to tell you how to be saved, how not to be saved. Not walk them down the Roman road. You know, why would The first time I was ever convicted, I was in total confusion and I made a false profession because I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that other people, when they were in this condition, they said they got saved. And so I'm going to say I got saved. And there was emptiness and there was despair. It was still there. I was still struggling with the fishnet in the boat. And I did that for a whole year before I finally turned to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm, I'm a wicked man. I cannot save myself in this situation. You're going to have to do it. Putting all my trust in Him. He's capable of doing it. He brought this on me. He can bring me out. That's the point you come to. Not, uh, do I have it all just figured out just right? Lord, did I figure it out enough yet? Did I figure it out enough yet, Lord? you got to come to this point of despair, desperation, helplessness. Lord, I need you. I need your help. So Peter's confession, he realized he was dealing with a man from God. He realized his unbelief. And Jesus Christ brought Peter to the same place that He brings you and me to today. Or that the Holy Spirit brings people to today. And this is what I, what I like to call, and I believe what Brother Billy used to call, also an effectual call. You hear the gospel as it applies to you. I want to turn to Luke chapter 14. I'm running down out of time here. Now you have family, and, and this means something to me, because you have family and I have family that have a very shallow, very flimsy gospel. Salvation. And they're always doubting their salvation. And one week they're saved, they know I'm saved. And the next week I don't know I'm saved. And, you know, they make decisions that have nothing, no basis in the Bible. And when you talk to them about God, they get upset. They're just, they're, they're flip-flop. They're like those fish in the boat. They're just flopping around. They're not stable. They have no assurance of their salvation. And I believe it's because they signed on with a cheap gospel. They're under conviction, they're in distress, and they just wanted a way out. Not, they, they did not do what Jesus Christ talks about here. So in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and this is really important. This is missed today. There, when, or, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. Now Jesus did this on purpose. He said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So what Jesus is telling them is, you don't have what it takes to be my disciple. You don't. Then in verse 27, he says, Whosoever did not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now the cross in this day wasn't a fancy piece of jewelry uh, or a technicolor article that we have in the church. It was, it, was, it was death. That's all it was used for. The Roman cross was an instrument of death. It was an electric chair. It was a guillotine. It was a noose, a hangman's noose. And so Jesus said, unless you go up to that scaffold and put that noose around your neck, and, and hang yourself, you, have no, you can't be my disciple. Unless you strap into that electric chair and die, you, have, you can't be my disciple. What? Unless you take up your cross, unless you die, you cannot be my disciple. And he's intentionally doing this because he's, he's showing people there is a cost to being my disciple, to following me. And Jesus Christ is dealing with thousands and thousands of lost people here. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Now, I've heard this term used a lot. Saved right, taught wrong. You've probably heard it too. And I understand that to a degree. But there's a limit. There's a limit. How much untruth 
How, much, how many lies can you have in the gospel and be saved? None. No truth is of a lie. And so when Jesus is talking to these people here, he's not saying, well, you can get saved and then decide if you're going to be faithful or not. This is all tied, being a follower of Christ is tied into your salvation. It's not, I can have one and not the other. You don't get that choice. Christ doesn't give you that choice. It's all in or all out. And so Christ talking to people here who, who are following him, but they don't belong to him yet. He's saying, okay, you want to follow me. You want the gifts that I offer. Well, it's going to come with a cost. And here's the cost. He said, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he had laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. And all behold, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. How many lives have you seen like that in church? They get saved, supposedly. They join the church and then they don't finish. They barely even get the foundation covered up with some kind of flooring and they quit. These people, according to this right here, did not count the cost. They did not have sufficient to finish it. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, he said, this is your salvation. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So you see, even though salvation is free, it comes with an immense cost. And if you're, if you're sitting there and you're going, well, do I really want to be a Christian? Do I want to give it all? You're not there. You've got to get with Peter in the boat. You've got to get there. Where it's either you turn to the Lord and start life anew, or you go back to your old fishing ways. You go back to your old life. It's one or the other. It's that stark. It's that big a difference. Either Christ and His testimony is true. This is what Peter came to. Either this man is of God. His testimony is true. What he has said is true. Everything that's claimed about him is true. And I must follow him. Or he's a liar. And I'm not going to follow him. It's one or the other. And Satan has woven many religions and many lies so that you can combine the two. And you can serve God and mammon. You can have your fire insurance and live life how you want. If you get saved, that's, that's not what you end up doing. When you're born again, and I know we want to believe that people are born again and that they're going to heaven when they die and they just, they just on the wrong road. But when you make that allowance for people, you hurt them, you don't help them. They're lost. People who sign up and then they, they leave and we can't keep them in church and we can't keep them around and we can't keep assurance of their salvation, they're lost. And what you're doing is you're coming to them in the boat in their distress and going, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And it's not okay. And their soul is on the way to hell and they're not, they're not getting it. So Peter, James, and John, let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 5, our text over here. Let me review this real quick. Peter had heard about Christ. Peter saw what Christ was doing. And then, and then Christ gets in the boat with Peter. Christ goes against Peter's flesh, which is what the gospel always does to your loved ones. If you're going to go up to somebody, a witness to them, and you expect a thank you to somebody who's lost, forget it. 
you are entering into the enemy's territory. The devil is the god of this world. He's got your family and your friends and your acquaintances right where he wants them. And when you start moving in his territory, he is going to come against you. And your friends are not going to like it. And your family is not going to like it. But you're not in it for a popularity contest. You're in it for their souls. Keep your eye on the prize. The prize is their soul. Expect. Just expect it. It'll help you out a lot. When you go to witness to somebody, they're not going to like it. Now, that doesn't mean you be mean and ugly to them. But nobody wants to be told they're going to hell. Who are you to judge me? I'm not. It's the word. So Jesus crossed Peter's flesh. And he got Peter in a place where he realized the only thing I can do is turn to the Lord. And Andrew couldn't help him. Andrew was trying to help him, by the way, in the boat. James couldn't help him. John couldn't help him. They're all in there struggling together. This is doing nothing for Peter. What helped Peter is when he finally turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fell down and he repented and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a wicked man. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve this. I just, you, you have shown me who I am. And he cries out to Jesus Christ. He cries out to God. And he gets redeemed. Justified. And from that point on, Peter's life was never the same. You see over here it says, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know anybody who claims that they're born again and they're fearful? They're afraid? Afraid I'm not really saved? Now, I understand that Jesus or the, the devil came to Jesus Christ and said, If thou be the Son of God, if you were the Son of God, why is this happening? And the devil himself tried to cast doubt or question the very sonship of Christ himself. So I understand the devil does that to people. But you don't live there. You don't stay there. You don't spend your entire Christian experience wondering, is God my Father? If that's, the, if that's the, your Christian experience, I don't know if I'm saved or not, you're not. God doesn't do that to His children. If you being evil know how to give gifts to, good gifts to your children, you don't leave them out on the street. You don't leave them in discomfort. You don't leave them starving. I don't get nothing about Bible reading. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask Him. So, now the devil loves to leave his children in confusion. He loves to leave them distraught, distressed, not knowing up or down, not knowing whether they're saved or not. The devil loves that. He treats his children and his followers that way. And as I said at the beginning, he would destroy all flesh if God would let him. If it says in verse 11, when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and they followed him and their lives were never the same. When you're born again, your life is never the same. I really appreciate what the brother said. We had, we had a testimonial service here last time I was here. And that last testimony was no good. That last testimony, that woman got up and she said, I was saved. I got saved. Of course, she talks more about the time she spent talking to a preacher than the time she spent talking to God. Amen. And she says, I went home and I got saved. And then I lived a life that was a total wreck. And I hated God and I disbelieved he even existed. You're not saved. And I appreciate the brother standing up and saying that testimony is no good. That is not a testimony. Here's, the, here's a testimony. Peter and them, they turned and they did not fish anymore. <coughs> now you say they did go back and fish when Jesus Christ died. Well, yes, of course they did. They didn't know what to do. The man that they had been following in the flesh was gone. But then once that Holy Spirit came, and from the day of Pentecost on, there was, there was never any wavering. They were faithful. Well, you and I, we had the day of Pentecost today. We were born again. We got the Holy Spirit. We have what Peter and them did not have. 
we have more grace to be faithful to God than they did. Think about that. The Bible says we have better promises, a better hope, a new covenant. And so if your, if your testimony of salvation is, I really don't hardly ever know if I'm saved or not. The only time I feel saved is when I feel good. And then when I feel bad, I feel lost. Just be honest with yourself and be honest with God because that's where it starts. Peter over here said, I don't need you, Lord. I know what I'm doing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll obey. It wasn't until he realized that he could not do anything, he could not save himself, that he turned and he cried out to God. There's no magic words. There's no magic formula. There's just to come and you realize that you have nothing in and of yourself and that Christ has it all. And you know that recurs throughout your life as a Christian? I came to the point when I realized as a preacher, you know, I can't actually do anything up here. I can't actually accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. I could just say what he already said. I could just preach the word. It's not incumbent upon me to make the results happen. My job is to be faithful to the Lord, exalt Jesus Christ, for He is worthy, and to preach the truth. I can, I can put seeds in the ground and I can dump water on them, but I cannot make the plants grow. Yeah, I had to come to that. I had to come to that realization. And it is so liberating. It is so freeing. And it's that way throughout your whole Christian experience, realizing, oh, I can't actually be a daddy that I'm supposed to be. I just have to do the best I can and leave the rest in the hands of God. And it, it, it's not my responsibility to see that they're saved. It's my responsibility to give them the truth. And it alleviates me. It's not my responsibility to make sure that my wife does everything that she's supposed to do. I teach her. I lead her. I do what I'm supposed to do as a husband. But her heart is between her and the Lord. And her faithfulness is between her and the Lord. And so I'm to be faithful to the Lord, faithful to His Word, but I don't produce the results. When you see men start producing the results and talk about how many they got saved, that's just it. They got them saved, not God. So Peter's conversion is a great story in the Bible. I love it. It's a picture of our salvation and also what you can expect when you're dealing with people. And I hope that's been a blessing and a help to you today.